Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, uh, Abby Duty and Curtis Wister, the Gordon College Fighting Scots, the Husson Eagles to my Humane Black Bears. How are you guys doing today? That's good. good. How are you, Ben? Oh, yeah. Good. I liked that intro. That was a yes. good one. So we are, we're, we're kind of talking uh, lots of different things and a lot of relationship talk lately is kind of what we're doing. And uh, one of the things that we hear when we sit down with our clients a lot is they have this goal, they're entering retirement and they go, you know what, I want to spend more time with my family. And then we ask, ask the next, next question, right, is, okay, well, who do you want to spend time with? And, they, and then they may be kids or another place they start going is, well, grandkids. Is mm-hmm. that, you know, I have grandkids. I'm really proud of them. I, I get to see them a little. But I'd love to spend more time with them. I love to get to know them. I love to share values with them. But I have lots of barriers here. I, you know, I don't know what they're into. I don't, uh, they don't really know me other than showing up at the birthday parties. So how do I, where I've binged on my career so much and I'm racing to that finish line and now I have all this time as a quotient, how do I, how do I start that relationship? How do I make sure I'm bridging that in, in, in a constructive way mm. versus uh, they're like, I want to spend time with them. Maybe they don't want to spend time with me. How do I make sure yeah. they want to do that? So yeah. those are the things that we wanted to really work on here as, as a topic is how do I bridge that relationship with, with kids or grandkids as I'm getting ready to retire? So that's where we wanted to go. And we, we have a, a really good friend, Chris McLaughlin, who uh, is over at Northern Light Acadia Hospital. And he's, he's somebody that has a lot of expertise in adolescence and development issues there and, and kind of working with that population. So we thought he'd bring a really special lens to this conversation. So I want to welcome Chris to the show today. Uh, Chris, appreciate you being on. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be with you guys today. Yeah. So with all of our guests, uh, right, as we want to get to know you a little bit and just spend a little time with you, hear about your perspective and kind of hear a little bit more about you. So could you just start with where did you grow up? What was your upbringing like? And then your path towards social work and working with kids. Sure. So I am a Mainer, uh, born and raised. (laughs) I uh, grew up in Old Town, so close by and spent all of my years out in the Pushaw Lake region of Old Town. Took it for granted back in the day uh, how special of a place it is and and try to get back there as often as possible. I'm also a UMaine grad, Ben, so go Black Bears. Bears. Um, <laughs> sorry, Abby. Sorry, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I haven't left far from home growing up in, in Old Town and then going to school in Orono really solidified my really my affinity for this place and and Maine is Maine is home and and probably will always be home to some degree as you mentioned I am uh, employed at Northern Light Acadia Hospital uh, here in Bangor we are a freestanding psychiatric facility for those that aren't familiar with our services 
And in my role at Acadia, I oversee uh, pediatric services as well as some of our community-based programs. My entire career really has been working with kids and families. And for the last two decades, um, I'm a LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker by trade. And so for the last two decades, have been working with kids and families who uh, on really all stages of, of developmental need and, and behavioral health issues. And really relationships is really the name of the game, Ben. You hit the nail on the head early on that it's really about um, how do we get people to maximize their success in interacting with one another at any age, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of regardless of what's happened in the past. How do we move forward? I think one of the one of the things I always like to to know is the well, we know what you do. We know maybe we'll learn a little bit more how you do it, but always the why, right? Is you know we all kind of have a gravity towards the one thing that we love to do, and you know with our team where uh, we kind of almost feel retirement obsessed is that we just want to know everything we can about helping our clients. So we have to become obsessed with kind of this, this kind of transition point and getting them through it. So with you, right. Well, how, what was the, what was that spur that says, you know what, like, you know, social work, uh, working with pediatrics, working with kids, this is who I'm about. This is what I'm passionate about and why I do what I do every day. So I will acknowledge something I probably haven't said out loud to many people before, Ben. So this is a special moment for you and your listeners. All right. Uh, my, My moment was the first time I watched the movie Silence of the Lambs. Which is uh, twisted, but the the role that Jodie Foster played, um, and just trying to that that whole piece around the why, as you just said, why why we do the things that we do, why we're driven in the places that we're driven to, um, but didn't really know at the time what social work was or that it existed, and it wasn't until I started working at Acadia in the very early '90s when the hospital first opened. Um, at 19 years old, working on the pediatric inpatient unit, the first real job I had as I was a college student, and got to know and be really fl- friendly with the clinicians on that unit, and learned of the field, and learned that maybe going to the FBI and and interrogating folks in prison was not what I wanted to do, but really working in a different office setting with kids and families. And, and really helping kids be um, who they want to be with families who can can love them unconditionally and and really help uh, move folks forward. Not unlike the work you do with folks with retirement planning, goal setting is a big part of the work we do with kids and mm-hmm. families as well. So helping kids and families meet their goals is really what we're about. And was it, was and just dig in a little bit more there with you, Chris. So in, in terms of when you kind of started that job, you know, what was it about kind of working with kids was the population, right? Because you could have worked with adults, you could have worked with geriatric, you could have worked with all these different segments. Was there something about like those years that said, you know what, here's where I can make the most impact and why I'm more passionate about it? I think that's it. And I very, I'm sensitive about not feeding into some of the stereotypes about, you know, old dogs and, and new tricks, but I really felt like I could maximize my impact with kids. Mm. Um, and believe it or not, my my area of specialty were actually the preschoolers. So the four or five-year-olds mm. was where I spent uh, the early parts of my career, but found myself coming back to adolescence. I worked in many residential treatment facilities after my graduate schooling was done at Orno. And that, I think, 
Um, I'm a big kid at heart and I hope to always be. Mm -hmm. um, and just being able to relate to kids and families on that level is, is important. And frankly, it's what I know. And so mm -hmm. move thinking about working with a different population kind of overwhelms me, especially at this point in my career. But yeah, I just, I've, I've always been to where drawn to where I think my strengths are and where I can make the most impact. Okay. Love to hear, uh, obviously with, we've had episode eight where we had Cl uh, Dr. Cliff Singer on, sure. right? So he was talking about the geriatric end here. And so our audience had heard from him in terms of an introduction to Northern Light Acadia Hospital and uh, some of the services, but more specifically towards that lens, right? With, with Dr. Singer. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your area, right? And, and working with, with kids and pediatrics and kind of what is, what is that job? You know, what are you doing? What sort of population is coming to you? What sort of challenges do they have? How do you look to help them? That sort of piece, I, I just want to make, I think that's a critical piece I, in terms of your lens and your expertise I want to share with that audience. Here. Yeah. Well, Cliff Singer is a tough act to follow. So I'm glad there's been some episodes in between <laughs> his and mine. He's very good. He's very good. And, and that Mood and Memory program is an all-star program, as you now know, nationally known for the work they're doing. I'd like to think the same about our pediatric program. We offer a full continuum of services to the hospital. So we have everything from traditional outpatient um, therapy and med management where kids pre-COVID were coming on site and meeting with therapists, meeting with prescribers, meeting with case managers, and, and doing that work now. Of course, we're doing that all virtually um, mm. and, and quite successfully, I will say. And so we have that lower, those lower acuity services, those lower levels of need. And then we go all the way up to inpatient services where we have a couple units where kids come to us and stay uh, with us um, for hopefully a short amount of time as possible um, so we can help. Sometimes it's a med adjustment. Sometimes it's some safety planning. Sometimes it's um, trying to figure out a brand new uh, path, a brand new uh, treatment approach. Uh, but our goal is to get kids really out and back with back with families or back to their community environments and back to their outpatient teams. Mm -hmm. And then we have a program right in the middle of those two things, right? So we have our pediatric day program where kids come on site, again, pre-COVID, and spend the day with us. And it's mm -hmm. a, a program that offers a little bit of schooling through our friends at Bangor School Department. Um, but for the day, they are with clinicians and uh, psychiatric technicians and nurses really working very intently on whatever challenges they're facing. Um, and that program can really run uh, several months, depending on on what the what the kiddo's motivation is and mm -hmm. and how quickly they kind of progress through their treatment phases. And then we have a community based program. So we have clinicians that we have out in schools all over the region who really are um, doing school traditional school social work and some outpatient therapy for kids in that school setting. It's a real barrier reduction approach to getting kids treatment without needing to miss school to travel mm -hmm. to appointments. Um, unfortunately, just the state of the state of kids services right now, we have, it's not uncommon to have kids and families traveling to sometimes three hours wow. one way wow. from the county to come wow. to their 45, 50 minute appointment. 
And so this, I will say I'm a silver linings guy. So this move to telehealth that COVID mm -hmm. has brought all of us has really opened our eyes and our family's eyes to mm -hmm. um, how we can deliver services more uh, effectively and efficiently for everyone. So I'm sure that there's a lot of impact to that too, right? Is, you know, if you, you're having uh, somebody travel to you two and three hours each way, you know, they just come out of the car, then they have to hurry to their 45 minute appointment, right? Is maybe their mental state is a little bit different than if you were, sure. hey, they're, they're well rested, they haven't been in the car, uh, you know, and in, in, in perhaps in terms of services, it's more productive as, as a session too, right? It is. And, and these are also kids that um, school attendance is really important for a whole lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and as a lot of our kids are getting services at school. So missing mm. a day of school a week or a day of school a month really is just not an acceptable solution for some of the kids and families that we're working with. It's a double-edged sword as, as well. They have to make a choice. Mm. So one of my questions is going to be for you, Chris, is, you know, when you were at 19 working with kids versus today, how has that changed? So I know we just kind of covered that, but other than telehealth, was is there something there? But also... I just would love to hear just like how that's evolved, but then also how you think it's going to evolve. Because again, Maine is a pretty rural state. Yeah, uh, we are in a rural area of the state. Uh, Abby's in Portland, sitting right now, so a little less so down in her neck of the woods. But there, in terms of a service center where you are in Bangor, right, is you have just a very large geographic reach, and you're trying to support everybody and finding ways to support the need that's out there, which we know sure. is pretty big. Yeah, sure. So our goal and a big part of my role. Um, at the hospital is really to to develop systems of care that can bring services outside of the brick and mortar facility. How do we bring services to kids and families? How do we deliver services in their natural environments, their own communities? And how do we partner more effectively with those communities, whether it's school, public safety, or other community providers, community stakeholders? How do we partner better to mm -hmm. keep kids and families living together and intact? What we know is that kids tend to do better when they're surrounded by loved ones, just like all of us would. When we have support systems, natural support systems, we tend to do better. Mm -hmm. So while it is absolutely essential at times um, and critical safety issues, when we have kids that need to come into our inpatient service, again, our goal is to get them out of that setting as quickly as possible and back to their natural support systems. And that's really what Acadia is about, I think, is, is having a well-defined system of care where we can intervene at every level of need from those really um, check-in kind of appointments once a month, once a week, all the way into 24-hour care um, okay. and moving kids back and forth as needed. I, I would love to hear just, um, again, from a personal bent is uh, always look, when, when he asks somebody a question of what do you love about your job, right? And and I, gotta, I think that's when we're trying to get our listeners here of, hey, this is somebody that's really passionate about what they do. And that's always the question that I is most meaningful to me is what do you love about it? And I love yeah. to ask you that question too, Chris is sure. what, what is, what is it about it that really kind of gets you inspired? I love being at a point in my career and with an organization like Northern Light, like Acadia Hospital, where I have um, the ability to really impact the system. 
Mm -hmm. um, and that moving outside of my four walls of this is where I treat kids and families to really now looking at the system of service delivery, like creating, creating new programs and developing um, approaches to telehealth and telepsychiatry to get services where kids are. I love talking with families about what it is about their services that are working really well and what's not working. How do we uh, fix that? And I love um, a, a big part of my role these days, especially is working with schools and parent organizations and other community groups to just support those people that are supporting our kids, like teachers, like parents, like families, um, like grandparents who are raising their kids, mm. um, sometimes unexpectedly. How do we support the supporters? So we're doing a lot of training right now on um, managing stress and anxiety during this pandemic focusing on issues related to grief and loss that mm -hmm. folks are experiencing during this time. We're in graduation season, yeah. um, we're in prom season, all of those pieces, this is spring sports season. Mm -hmm. So we're really doing a lot of work with teachers and parents um, on how do they best manage all the feelings that they're having so that they can be ready to support their kids. Yeah, yeah and I wanna give you a plug here too, Chris, is I, I know you had a really big project last year um, in terms of the Acadia Cares program, right? Is because you talk about supporting people that are supporting these kids and sometimes they don't have resources, right? They don't know what to look for and they don't know what signs that to, to, to spot in terms of where trouble is happening with, with the kids that they're uh, looking after. Can you just spend a, a second on that Acadia Cares program? Because I know it's, it's actually gotten some really good national attention in terms of uh, the, the quality and the level of work that was done. Yeah, so um, thanks for saying that, Ben. We partnered with a uh, Bangor-based video production company, Osborne Media, and uh, Hamden Academy, and recruited some kids, a lot of kids actually, and we filmed a seven-video series under this Acadia CARES umbrella. CARES stands for the Child, Adolescent, Resource, and Educational Series, and really it was looking at kids' mental health and wellness through the lens of uh, both suicide prevention and through resiliency. So our video mm -hmm. series started with youth suicide prevention and walked through topics like eating disorders and anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, bullying, substance use, um, uh, working with kids who are LGBTQ positive, um, and then ended that series on resiliency. Um, and then we developed a box set that we uh, created 500, um, and we were able to send this box set of materials, vid the videos, a facilitation guide, some crisis resources, and we got that in the hands of schools and community organizations all over Maine and are using that uh, facilitation guide right now to do a lot of that training that I referenced. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so thanks for saying that again. It's, um, well, it, it, and Chris, what, why I brought that up too is, look, at you know, I think this is for anybody that is a stakeholder in a child's life, right, is, hey, I care about this child for whatever relationship I have to them, those videos give a lot of great tools, give a lot of warning signs of things to look for from experts on your team. And you don't have to be in Maine, you could be anywhere and and take the five minutes to, uh, to 10 minutes to look through them and go, hey, I have concerns about this child. Uh, and in this case, we're going to we're kind of want to apply a lens of a, maybe a grandchild. But hey, I'm trying to apply this, and you know, I'm seeing that they're not connecting with me because of this, this, and this concern. 
And, you know, maybe it is an eating disorder because I'm seeing them leave the, the kitchen table after having the meal. And I kind of, maybe that's something I should look into and here. So we want to put those resources on our blog as well so that our population that are listening or seeing this video, uh, however they're consuming this content, they can then go and see these videos too. So I want to put that out there too. So it was just a great toolbox regardless of the setting. Yeah, and I'll and I'll make sure you have that resource. All the videos are able to be seen at no charge on mm-hmm. our um, Northern Light Health our, our landing page, and um, there's also a link for folks to go to if they want to learn more. And we are happy to provide any one-on-one coaching or or consultation to anyone who calls and says, "Hey, I'm worried about my blank." Uh, my grandchild, my granddaughter, my my nephew, um, and and we are seeing, you know, for right, wrong, or indifferent, we are seeing a larger number of uh, retirees who are caring. Um, again, sometimes unexpectedly and in a very unplanned way, caring for their grandchildren, and mm-hmm. they um, are struggling with not just their what their grandkids are going through, but also like, this isn't how I envisioned my mm-hmm. life yeah. at 67 years old. Yeah. Um, this isn't what I was supposed to be doing, but it's what they have to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with, with the opioid epidemic, epidemic being what it is, we have grandparents who are grieving the loss of their own children who are dying by overdose, but are now raising their grandkids who are grieving the loss of their parents. And so these complicated factors, you know, it's no wonder that that families are struggling a lot right now. Mm. So we're... And you, and you have more of a generational disconnect too, right? And, and that's where I want to go with you next, Chris, is, you know, sometimes you have, it's not just relating to your direct children, right, is, hey, we're, you know, 20, 30 years of difference, or whatever that difference usually is, and connecting to kids, and well, it's different than how I grew up, and sometimes we have a framework that we apply on the next generation, because I did it this way, you should do it that way. Oh, we're going to get into that for sure, Ben. (laughs) So then even worse to say, hey, now I'm two generations removed, and you have kids that are all into Fortnite and Minecraft and TikTok uh, videos, Right. And, and here you have uh, that and you go, you know, grandparents going, I don't even know how to spell TikTok, much less even what that thing is. So <laughs> how can so my question really to you, Chris, is all right. So how can an adult who's working with a younger child, how can they if they don't have a relationship with them? Right. And so start from a neutral perspective first. They just don't really have a really existing relationship that's that's great. How can they start moving it from a foundational relationship, again, parent to child, to something more, uh, again, grandparent to child in their retirement? What that, that's really the fundamental question we want to start yeah, with you. Yeah. So the um, the first thing I will say um, is that I was thinking about that question, and I was thinking about the parallel to the work that folks do to get towards retirement. And really, it's about attacking that goal and committing to the goal and dedicating resources to that goal. And so if the goal is, I want to have a relationship with my grandkids, then sometimes it's helpful to have a relationship advisor kind of plot out those steps with you or think through those steps. And I'm hoping that this, this podcast can kind of act as that advisor for some. 
but really it's about the commitment to the goal. And it's probably the things that the three of you say to your clients every single day. You like, remember your plan, uh, remember your commitment to that plan, stay focused on the end result, stay focused on the goal, keep your eye on the prize. And so relationships with, with family members it falls into that same camp for me. The second thing I'll say is that it's got to be uh, genuine, it's got to be authentic, and it's got to be intentional. Kids today see right through any of that, anything fake, anything non-genuine. Um, they're experts at that, mm-hmm. uh, more so than any of us. Mm-hmm. And so folks have got to be really committed to the goal, but intentional and genuine in the goal. Yeah, so I, I think it's about focusing on empathy, what, uh, find the things that we have in common with each other, not focus on those things that set you apart. So like you said, Ben, it's really easy to be like, well, that's not what I did when I was in high school, or (laughs) I had my first job at 14 years old. But we we spend a lot of time, it's really just human nature to kind of focus on what differs us from each other. And Mm. so you got to flip that script and really work on building the connection of what brings us together, put the kid in the place of teaching you, um, Mm. make the kid the expert and Mm. show again, genuineness. Like you mentioned Minecraft, you know, it's the grandparents sitting with the kid and say, you know what? I want to learn about this game. You love this game. You show me what you love about this game Um, and put that kid in the teacher role. Mm. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Um, So what about connecting with kids in different adolescent stages, right? So every stage is going to be a little bit different. So how do those differ? um, And what tips would you give for connecting at each of those different stages? Yeah, that's a really good point. The way I would tackle a relationship building with a with a 16-year-old is very different than with a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of it is is kind of keeping in mind that each of those age groups need a little bit of something different from the adults in their life. And so when I think about kids, you know, the 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 elementary school age, lower middle school grades, they are so hungry for recognition. They want to show you their schoolwork. They want to put it up on their refrigerator. They want to um, show you their hobbies and what they found in the in the yard and what they've created in the sandbox. Um, and the kind of feedback they need has got to be constructive. They don't want to be criticized. They don't want to be told what they're doing is wrong. And I think that's something that we sometimes trip ourselves up with is we want to do it for them and show them how the the right way it Mm. should be done. Um, But we've got to let them, kids need to explore and experiment with that, with the guidance of trusted adults around them. Conversely, when you think about adolescence, they need something really different. They don't want anybody coaching them or telling them really outwardly (laughs) what they should be doing. They don't want you to get them to conform or push your viewpoints on them. They need really the permission to explore who they are. Um, And they're really looking to their peers and role models. And I think grandparents and and extended family members are sometimes in the perfect position to Mm. be the role model for them because they're not mom and dad. They're mm-hmm. one step removed from mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, they have all the stories about what mom and dad did naughty when they were young. <laughs> and so I think you can really partner. Re- a, a, a grandparents can partner really effectively with adolescents and sometimes at the expense, lighthearted expense of, of birth parents as well. 
Chris, to kind of follow up on that, I know we've kind of talked around it at this point. Um, can we talk about just kind of generally some things you see the older generation uh, sort of do wrong or mistakes kind of commonly you see um, when dealing with younger kids or younger generations? Yeah, sure. I So my precursor is I, I tend to try to be both personally and professionally, like, here's what you should be doing. I try not to do the finger wag and, <laughs> and tell people you're doing that all wrong, even though that's probably what my face sometimes shows outwardly. <laughs> but I think it's important to just be upfront about here are things that aren't going to work with kids of all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever you start the conversation of when I was your age, we had to blank. Or when I was your age, they made me blank. That idea, that comparison piece mm-hmm. um, that sometimes has that twinge of guilt or shame underneath it. Mm-hmm. It's that message of you should be doing it this other way. That's yeah. not going to work. You're, that's not mm-hmm. going to be a conversation starter. I think older generations sometimes have an idea that the iron fist is the right or the only approach. And the youth of today are not going to be moved by Iron Fist. They're mm-hmm. going to rebel at all ages. And so older generations, I think, have to challenge themselves to find other motivators and find ways to engage cooperation instead of forcing compliance, which is a challenge. Mm-hmm. It, it, takes some, it takes some creativity to do that. And finally, I think power struggles, regardless of the age of the caregiver, power struggles are the number one thing folks in my shoes are trying to coach um, Mm -hmm. family members out of. Um, And power struggles tend to come up when values are being forced upon or instilled when or when heels get locked in so the Mm. the stories i think about are kids that are forced to sit at the dining room table and you can't leave until you finish all of your blank and these are kids that will absolutely wait out they're there till till midnight sometimes and the struggle becomes much bigger than what the you need to eat your vegetables conversation was Mm. and so we've got to avoid power struggles at all costs it they will they lead to to resentment and chips on shoulders which then just makes that relationship goal even harder to achieve Mm. and and chris i'll I'll, i want to just kind of reply to it too and because from our end right when we're working with this population directly right instead of we're trying to reach the the kids there and you kind of see a lot of there's a lot of and I, I don't want to use the bad connotation of the word, but there's a lot of rigid thinking, sure. right? Is that, you know, they, they've created in their mind a construct of here's how it has to be. And there's absolutes. It's either it's binary outcomes that it's going to be all good or all bad. And, and where we kind of, I think where a lot of work that we try to do with them is start breaking that up and going, let's start with the goal and then look at the path. So there's lots of paths to kind of get to those goals. And if you're trying to achieve a certain uh, level of attainment or happiness or satisfaction, but to your point about, hey, I want them to eat healthier. Is it that I have to have them sit down at this table right now and eat all of the food groups that I put in front of them, even if their taste buds are screaming at them and they're basically their their gag reflexes are engaging, but they have to be this because that's what happened to me is my broccoli was forced on me like George Bush, right? That sort of stuff. Is it just, I I don't know, I I think we all can kind of start getting into that mode is, nope, this is the way it is, this is what we're going to do, and you're going to conform or else. The four words that um, caregivers of any age 
should be most mindful of and cringe when they come out of your mouth is because I said so. That carries zero merit for kids of any age. And so it, it, it it's easy to say four words and expect the, you know a response. What's tougher but much more effective is finding that middle ground. It's engaging a conversation in, here's what I hear you saying you want. Here's what I hope you're hearing grandpa saying he wants. How do we meet in the middle? And maybe it's you don't eat all your peas, but maybe you try the peas and and we move on to the next phase of the evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because actually I I have that struggle with my son directly a lot is, but you go you you know we just because you know in our senses well we're just gonna have an open and honest conversation here is like hey we're concerned about the food choices we're making yeah. and you know we're these are the concerns we have and why that's concerning to us so can we find a way that here's a menu of things we know you do like that can balance this a little bit more and give the control back to them of hey here's the parameters let you do that. But it, it becomes an open dialogue a lot, and it feels like we're ending that meal time better. Right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's feeling like, well, I want to control in this relationship. You gave some to me, and I got to eat something I liked instead of something that you forced me to not like. Yeah. So knowing your son, um, you know, I, I absolutely see that but i but as i said earlier you're giving um you're giving your son at that age exactly what they need they need the parameters but the control and you know we i say to families all the time you want to save the because i said so for absolute safety issues mm-hmm. like um whether it's around um oh i don't know driving or substance use or uh, for younger kids being near mom when she's cooking on a hot stove. The because I said so have to be related to safety and in the moment concerns that you can then back up and explain later. Gotcha. Um, so kind of shifting gears, and we touched on it a little bit, um, about some of the myths of this generation of kids, right? So we've kind of alluded to it a little bit um, about their behaviors, but what are some of those common myths that you hear? Um, and are these new trends or have, are these repeating kind of, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So I did a little bit of, um, research. I'm a, I'm a social work nerd and I embrace it. (laughs) And I did a little bit of research and not surprisingly, there's a lot of folks way smarter than me who have talked about these generational gaps and differences going back um, now 60 or 70 years. And so a lot of what stereotypes of this current young generation are, are the same exact stereotypes that were 20 years ago and 20 years before Mm -hmm. that and 20 years before that. So every generation thinks that the current generation has it easier than they ever had. (laughs) Things are handed to them, that they're spoiled, they've gotten lazy, they've gotten weak, um, they're not they're not prepared to live in the world that we live in. And really that, um, I think it's that spare the rod, spoil the child, child mm-hmm. that, that um, iron fist approach. Every generation thinks that that's what the current generation needs mm-hmm. as much as we hated the generation above us thinking that about us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's empathy, right? We've lost yeah. touch of the things that triggered our responses and now we're imposing them. Um, but here's the fact, and, and it's a bit of a sobering fact. Kids today are experiencing 
rates of depression and anxiety that no other generation have ever dealt with. Suicide rates for kids are increasing year after year, especially in populations that we always thought had some built-in resiliency like adolescent girls. Um, the lethality of adolescent girls is increasing year after year. This generation of kids absolutely has the cards stacked against them, more so than I think other generations ever would know. And it's easy to take for granted that this generation of youth have grown up with Facebook. They've grown up with smartphones. They've grown up with 24-hour news cycles. And the impact that all of those things have in a cumulative way on kids you could fill novels with. And so we're working with a generation that's unlike any other generation previously because of just the way the world has changed around them. And make no mistake, we'll be talking about the impacts of the coronavirus on kids mm -hmm. for years to come. Mm -hmm. We cannot um, rule out what this current pandemic is doing to, to kids. And, and we won't know for years to come, really. Sure. But I think it's it's what's important is again to to step back and remember what it was like to be a kid and what it was like to have your grandparents or your parents call you lazy or tell you to get off the couch and get a job and they and our parents before that to get out of the get you know get off the couch and get a haircut and the you know it just goes back so far it's it's empathy hmm. yeah and, and I'll add to that too uh, Chris is you know it, it again it seems like sometimes you know, we have this in our mind and it can cause a negative relationship with somebody, right? Is all of a sudden, you know, I came into retirement thinking I have all this time. I have other resources too, maybe even financial assets. And I'm trying to use this to apply it to go, how can I better my life? But also I get peace by bettering either my kid's life or my grandkid's life, right? And and that I, I can only imagine, right? Is, you know, you lose a child to the opioid addiction and, and all of a sudden you're inheriting a grandchild. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, I, I, I'm coping and grieving from a loss I never thought of. And having to, you know, what it's now on me to uh, make sure our family continues to grow and uh, achieve. And, you know, I have to jump into that role uh, to continue and foster this family relationship. So it seems like sometimes that you could see where parents or grandparents could start out on a bad note with, yeah. with kids, or they just are in a rut, right? And I was at a conference one time and, and one of the speakers there was asked a question about this, right? Well, what, what do you, you know, I, I have a bad relationship with my, my son, and, you know, my concern is I can't just get out of this bad rut is he does something, I'm annoyed, I then punish him, he gets more upset, and we just continue to go round and round the circle. And the speaker then asked the question, which I thought was one of the best things he, he offered was, when was the last time you went on a date with your son? Mm -hmm. Right? When was the last time you extracted yourself from the situation and said, what's something we can do together that brings us together and we enjoy a moment of, of happiness? Right. And enjoy a moment of us connecting back together. So and that's something I've used when we've talked to people, when we're hearing that feedback of, all right, when have you done that? But I'm interested in your take here is when people are stuck in that rut. And that's just one specific thing I've heard and, and thought of. But what steps can someone take to get that relationships to a better place that maybe doesn't include that or there's other things that they could do to get there? Yeah. So one thing I have been guilty of saying over the last several years um, is is asking the question of of my parents and grandparents, you know, who's the adult in this relationship? 
And I don't mean that in the sense of who's in charge. I mean that in the sense of who's of the maturity level, who's of the mm-hmm. intellectual level, who, who's really, who can we expect to rise above the cycle, the back and forth? Is it the eight-year-old? Nope. Nope. Is it the 68-year-old? Yeah, I think that's a fair expectation. And so sometimes the it, it takes a lot to d- unplug, to disengage, and to rise above and intentionally break the cycle. And I keep coming back to that word about intentionality, because I think it really has to drive your actions and what you're doing. There's You've mm-hmm. got to have a plan. You've got to have a, an end goal. And it's got to be starting slow when there's when there's rough waters under those bridges. You can't jump into it all at once and expect it to come out um, as whole great as you would hope. You got to start slow. There's baby steps that you can do. Sometimes it's it's communicating um, via notes or cards in the mail or emails or recorded messages. But it's it's finding alternatives to the lock of the verbal argument. You got to find a way around that and don't be afraid to ask for help. And sometimes help is engaging um, parents if they're present or other family members or engaging professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, Our region is really rich in terms of support for um, grandparents who are raising kids. There's support groups happening all the time for grandparents who have found themselves in this situation or grandparents who are providing childcare maybe not raising the child in the sense that they're living there, but grandparents who are primary caregivers um, when there are working parents. And so those, there's support and help available, um, training and education, but mostly just the peer support of somebody else saying, yep, I know what that feels like. I've been there. Yeah. And, and I'd like to ask uh, just specifically that Chris, right. Is to say, you know, cause one thing to say there's support available, but I'd love to go, Hey, I'm in a situation right now. Maybe I have inherited a grandchild that I'm taking care of, or, you know, maybe I'm providing daycare to that child because my kid, my, my kids themselves are working. Right. And, and I'm, I'm providing care myself and I'm, I feel unprepared. I yeah. feel I'm unprepared. I feel like I'm under trained. Uh, maybe I'm underappreciated. I don't know. Well, there's a lot of feelings of that. So what, how, how would they engage with maybe is with your organization, Chris, or where would they go? It's like, I need help. I'm thinking of this right now. I don't know where to go. I yeah. feel very siloed. I feel very alone. And yeah. I feel like I can't even maybe talk to other people about this because it maybe this insecurity neck challenge. What are you talking about? How, how hard does it take care of Johnny? That's not right. a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, we are always there to be a resource, um, whether it's a service we can provide or not. We're happy to to talk with folks and point them in the right direction. 211 um, here in Maine is also a great resource. There are grandparent supports that you can find uh, locally here in the um, in the greater Bangor area. And actually, I think this is a statewide organization. Adoptive and Foster Families of Maine, AFFM, provides support groups for uh, family members, typically um, elder family members who are um, suddenly fostering or uh, raising, have adopted their grandkids um, for whatever reasons, things that we mentioned earlier. But I think 211 is an excellent resource for these grandparent supports. And then they would be connected right to, all right, here, here's the agency, here's the nonprofit, yes. here's a group, 
uh, whatever. Yep. Referral numbers, calls. Yep. Eastern Area Agency on Aging. I know you also had Diane Walsh, uh, who's a dear two. friend of mine. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Diane came on your show, and Diane uh, is a wealth of knowledge of what's available for grandparents in this region as well. Yeah, because I, I think it's just important just to have something specific to say, okay, when you need help, the first place you got to go is 211, yeah. right? Is here, mm-hmm. Here's where you need to go because it just feels like they go, well, do I call Northern Lidicated Hospital? But now I know it's a hospital and am I going to get charged something because yeah. of that? And I would to- start with 211. And okay. then, you know, and then I think um, as the needs of the child escalate, there are additional resources. Um, the GEAR Parent Network, G-E-A-R Parent Network, is an organization that's parent-run, and that's specific for parents or family members of all ages who are caretaking for kids with special needs. And they run educations and trainings and support groups and one-on-one sessions, um, but it's parents talking to parents, and there's a lot of power in that approach as well. Um, so just shifting gears a little bit, right? So retirees generally have more financial assets available to them, right? Which is something that we certainly help with all the time. Um, so how can that be useful um, in helping with family relationships? So no financial advice here, right? But just um, just giving some assistance on how to maybe they can use those resources to build family relationships, or is there a better way of going about this versus maybe not such a great way about going about it? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. I um, Again, it's about intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always encourage um, grandparents, before you go out and buy X, Y, or Z, you might want to make sure that parents are okay with X, Y, or Z. Like, mm-hmm. don't go buying your grandchild a car if they just turned in an all F report card and that's not going to fly with mom and dad. So it's got to be done, I think, in collaboration. Um, and it's got to be intentional. You can't buy true love. You know, it, it may feel like you're buying the relationship, but we know that that just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think, taking an interest in that youth's activities, mm-hmm. supporting their hobbies you know, go a long way. And I, and I think about kids who are building models or flying drones or, or into photography, grandparents who can buy that drone, that next drone up or buy that next camera quality up could really help support the hobby, support Mm. mom and dad and make their presence really be known that they're here to help. And they're taking an active interest in, in these hobbies. And the other thing I know, uh, for folks that can, that they find this in their budget, the vacations together. I I know many friends whose grandparents have done weeks at a camp or family cruises or uh, times in Disney together. Buying the experience or, or providing the pathway towards the experience, I think can also be a really unique way to, um, to create some memories. And that's really what that's about for, for a lot of retirees. Yeah. And, and I want to add to that, Chris, too, is we had uh, Maria McDougall on from Finance Authority of Maine the other day. And, you know, that was one of the things that she talked about was, you know, intentionality was what you've brought up as a, as a major theme with kids. And she, she used that too, which I, I like that you guys were aligned there, was the, with intentionality around college planning. 
Because if you say, hey, I have a college account for you, and they're age five, and they're age seven, they continue to hear that, mm-hmm. that they, they start building in their own expectation about going to college, and they know there's money earmarked for it, and they're, they're working towards it, and that good grades, uh, plus uh, you know the work that they do, plus these resources that we're all di- building together, um, allows you that opportunity to get there. Not saying you have to do it, but we have kind of removed roadblocks for you to get to it. So I like that, you know, what she kind of had a whole track on intentionality from a grandparent perspective to mm-hmm. a grandchild, that you're kind of saying a lot of parenting skills are really around that anyway. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the idea of, of supporting college or, or vocational training or, mm-hmm. um, or it might be supporting the kids first attempt at independent living, you know, helping kids with a security deposit for their yeah. first apartment. But again, I, I think it's those kind of things have got to be done in collaboration with the child's parents, um, just to make sure that visions and values are aligned. So Chris, this conversation to this point, we've been kind of talking from the older generation's uh, perspective, if you will. I kind of want to switch that around. So what are some things that you see that really cause the kids to sort of turn off to that relationship with their grandparents? You know, even if the grandparents are are doing everything that we've talked about to this point, you know, they're doing everything right. But, right. you know, um, so kind of what are you seeing there and any kind of tips or suggestions you have for a grandparent who may be experiencing that? Kids are going to be kids. <laughs> and again, you could do everything right and have it still blow up in your face. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to not keep that kind of mental scorecard in your head that, well, I've given them X many chances and I'm done. Like that's not how relationships work. Relationships have to be unconditional. Mm -hmm. And so it may be 10 strikes or 15 strikes. Kids don't want to feel like things are being forced on them. Again, this is kids of all ages. So the one size approach, uh, one size fits all approach doesn't work really well with kids at all. Mm. I would say that, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, that kids are going to sniff out the lack of genuine, uh, being genuine, yeah. and they're going to sniff out when somebody's trying to buy mm. their love and affection. And I think that sometimes other generations feel like you can talk through the problem incessantly. And so if every time I see my grandfather they're going to lecture me about why studying um, my math is so important Mm. or why I should start watching NASCAR or why I should support the Patriots. My time with that person is going to start dropping dramatically. Um, And so I think grandparents need to um, dust off that insight, that inner voice that makes you stop and pause and go, geez, I'm, I'm listening to myself and this is not going well. <laughs> I should probably stop now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a really important skill for all of us to have, but, uh, but certainly for folks who are trying to foster some different caliber of relationships. I also think there's safety in numbers. And so making these relationships full family affairs. Mm. So getting gatherings, getting groups, engaging the aunts and the uncles. If there's cousins, you know, make this not just about this one grandchild or this one Mm. sibling set. Make this truly about improving my relationships with my family. Yeah. Um, And for larger families, starting new memories and new traditions of family gatherings or family barbecues or that same weekend every year that we're all going to gather at grandparents' house and do lawn games or or Mm -hmm. those kind of events. But making it full family and, and 
having that safety in numbers. It takes the pressure off you. Mm. And more importantly, it takes the pressure off that one kid yeah. who really is the target of your efforts. Yeah. I, I would like to, you know, it's, this is maybe a COVID-19 related question, Chris, yeah. right? Is, you know, I, I think in some ways by, you know, kind of by design sheltering in place, right? And especially with a population that with maybe perhaps increased health risks, that they're they're required to stay away from more and more populations right now. Um, again, we're recording this in uh, in the middle of May, so going forward, this might be changing. But it, it, it obviously, with t- it, it, with relationships, it's all about time, is what I I've experienced. Right, is the more time I spend with you, the more I get to know you, the more we're going to foster a relationship. And again, there there can be positives and negatives to that too, but. You know, that right now it seems like there it's a very specific challenge, right? Where it's like, I want to go spend time with you and I want to do this, but I can't, right? Mm-hmm. And and I maybe I can't come see you. So obviously Zoom, which is a recording vehicle we're using using right now anyway, and people are using it in a lot of day-to-day lives that they're exposed to. But maybe in addition to Zoom or other ways that, that we can use it, maybe technology or other ways that we can still have a relationship, build a connection keep fostering and, and spending time with each other um, that maybe maybe we weren't doing before, or maybe we can incorporate going forward. Yeah. So I'm going to say something that's really counter to what um, you may be expecting me to say, and I'm going to say avoid Zoom at all costs. Okay. Um, kids are spending the vast majority of their day in some remote learning environment, they're getting services, they're getting friend, their friend time. And, and Zoom fatigue is absolutely real, as I'm sure you have come to find out in the last couple of months as well. <laughs> so it really is, we've got to think about what's, what's efficient, what's going to, but what's also going to be effective. And so I would encourage grandparents to embrace apps like Snapchat or Marco Polo or those or even FaceTime. But those those kind of apps where they're designed to be quick mm. snippets, you can use um, funny filters, you can make it a sort of uh, this is our thing that we always talk to each other in our squeaky voice filters or our old <laughs> man filters or or what have you. But there's a formality with Zoom right now that I think is is it's going to be natural for kids, especially adolescents, to want to rebel against. Mm. Zoom is where I do my schooling. Zoom is where mm. I do my counseling appointment. Um, Zoom is where mom sets play dates up for us. So trying to find clever but quick ways to engage with each other. Recordings. Apps like Voxer that allow you to record uh, messages back and forth, find ways to read stories aloud together, get, you know, buy the same kid book for home and the same kid book that's at our chapter book that's at grandpa's house and read them together over the phone. Um, I think we've, one of the things we've learned is that the visual is really helpful, but it's not the most essential part hmm. of virtual conversation and communication right now. And embrace the postal service, like send cards in the mail, put together pandemic survival kits. Again, it's about getting to really, it's about getting to know each other, mm. create a scavenger hunt where you can send challenges to each other in the mail and, and things like 
escape rooms, creating your own way of, of solving puzzles together, things you have to collaborate on instead of compete on, mm-hmm. and, and scrapbooking and photos. And there's all of this technology that allows you to share a journal back and forth. I love the idea of doing writing prompts. Um, and so uh, for kids or, or, or art prompts, coloring prompts, draw your favorite memory, draw your fate, you know, what does this music make you think of? And ways that you can communicate across generations without feeling like you've got to be in front of your screen for one more formal meeting. Hmm. Chris, um, you know, I got to say that like, that was one, as you said, 180 degrees from where I thought you were going to go. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that is like, oh, just hop on a Zoom and see everybody. Isn't that great? <laughs> I did not expect you to kind of no, go there. In fact, I worry that I worry that the kids exhaustion from some of this technology could be interpreted as a lack of interest or a lack of investment in their part. Gotcha. It could be interpreted to the grandparent of, well, they don't want to have a relationship with me, you know? Yeah. And again, it's empathy. These are kids that are sometimes spending five, six, seven hours a day in virtual learning environments. Well, the and, last and, thing they want to do is one more at 7 p.m. And, and that's what we're like, again, with, with our kind of clients as they're getting in retirement, right? They have, they have a vast wealth of time. Right. And they go, what, what are my barriers? What are their barriers? It's usually, it's a technology barrier that they, they maybe are having trouble there. So you can kind of go, all right, well, what are the barriers? Well, let's, let's then spend time on educating you on, you know, Snapchat. Like, all right, let's figure out a way to get you trained on Snapchat so you are functional to have a better relationship with your child. If it is a six hour project for you to get versed in Snapchat, that's really a good use of six hours of your time Uh, uh to kind of, so all these are minor investments to kind of get there, but you have the time to do it. And, and really everybody's doing zoom right now. If, if a grandkid says, Oh guys, look what the Snapchat grandma sent to me. This is our thing. This is what we do. It really is about creating the, the shared experience that's novel and unique. Mm-hmm. And it becomes something that is really a source of pride for both the retiree and the kid. That this is what me and grandma do. We read these stories back and forth in funny voices using crazy filters. I love it. That's phenomenal. Thank you for that. So, Chris, as we approach the end of our episode, um, there's one thing that we love to do. I personally love it. I think everyone <laughs> loves it. We'd like to change it up and ask one kind of bucket list question, if you will. Um, so, obviously, the name of the podcast, Retirement Success in Maine. What is your kind of vision for your own retirement and then you know what you see being a successful retirement for yourself? Yeah. That I think is the hardest question you have asked me so far. <laughs> so we, you know, we've referenced a couple of your other guests, and a and a really good friend of mine, um, Carrie Heatherman, was another guest on your show, yeah. and I um, loved her podcast. I loved her episode with you because everything she talked about from a travel advisor perspective was right up my alley. Like I just couldn't get enough of that. And so, for me and my family, it's really about travel and okay. and experiencing places and seeing things that we just haven't had the time or resources for right now. So Carrie was my um is my uh retirement success guru. She's <laughs> she's who I want to be uh when that time comes for me. And she I think she's still like our number one uh listen to episode. So far, she, Ben. So far. <laughs> You're gonna beat it. I know it. Don't count this out. Yes. 
So we got to get this viral, Chris. So this is, uh, but yeah, that, 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 that's something where we hear a lot is, hey, like travel is something I, I just didn't get to do or I want to do as much of. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's, uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I, 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 that is my, definitely my dream. Okay. Well, uh, Chris, thank you for being on the show. Uh, appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Um, hope to have you back at another point because I know there's about 40 more questions we could have gone through today. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and I really appreciate the invite to come on. I think um, what you guys do is really amazing. So this is, I, I hope this is a topic that folks um, find more interesting than travel. That's right. <laughs> record. All right, Chris, we'll take care. Be well. Thank you so much. So getting a better relationship with kids and grandkids, right? So good topic today. Again, Chris McLaughlin, of course, uh, really great expertise bringing to the show. So good to have him here. Uh, you know, I, I think that's that's something where, you know, realizing the state of Maine, what type of resources you have and what sort of expertise. So good to have him here uh, from that end. We always like to wrap up our shows, of course, with lessons that we like to highlight and things that we learned. Mm. Maybe, Abby, could you start and bat us off in terms of the the lesson that you took away from Chris's talk with us today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what I really liked him talking about was the aspect of empathy and how important it is in relationships, um, especially with kids and grandparents or kids and parents. Um, I think empathy is often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe even undervalued, right? Putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, feeling what they're feeling can help you build that relationship. And the way he put it, it was a pretty foundational aspect of relationships. So I think that's always something helpful to keep in mind when working on building relationships with anybody, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked it. Because again, like, it, you know, his whole statement about who's the adult yeah. It is, uh, you know, are you expecting that uh, that young one to go invest all this time in getting a better relationship with you as the grandparent? Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, when you pose it like that, like, well, obviously, that's not probably going to happen. So if you're going to have, there's going to be things you're going to do that's going to be out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. right? Is you're going to learn, uh, hey, I'm going to have to learn Snapchat. I never thought I was going to have to learn that <laughs> and spend five hours on YouTube, like figure out which button to push and how long and filters and stuff. So yeah, you kind of go... I see where that's a challenge, but it's not, it's not insurmountable. So mm. having the empathy kind of makes you motivated to want to do it. So that was, mm-hmm. that was a really good point. Yeah. Curtis, from your end, uh, was there something that you took away that you really liked about uh, Chris's talk with us? Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of small in scope of the whole conversation. Um, you know, I think he referred to it as the the four most important words or the, the four words he stresses the most to not use is the, I told you so. And more so kind of the, the idea he had with saving the I told you so is for the really important moments. You know, it's don't sit there and, and scold a child or a grandchild and say, you know, eat your green beans because I told you so. Um, it's more so the, you know, drive safe with your friends or the the he brought up substance use and things like that. It's, you know, the 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 idea of really saving it for when it counts, you know, sort of the a, a different way of looking at like the boy who cried wolf. You know, if the kid hears I told you so all the time, he's like, well, so what, you know? Um, so I, th- I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Cause it's missing the why, right. Is, right. you know, you're, you know, part of parenting is to help them understand the situation and why, why this would maybe be a good choice and why that's a bad choice and mm-hmm. letting them choose still and giving them freedom and control and power is, is always important, but mm-hmm. having those parameters so that 
here's a new situation we haven't talked about. You can work through it yourself and, you know, kind of go from there. So that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. For me, I know we, we just kind of concluded with it, but, uh, and we're, we're kind of using this technology ourselves, but Zoom, mm. right? And, you know, the, the three of us, of course, we're doing a lot of meetings on Zoom right now, yeah. right? A lot of our clients are reaching out to us and we're doing, you know, I wouldn't say a majority of our day, but a good part of our day is using video technology mm-hmm. and to then go, Hey, by the way, you want to have a relationship with, uh, with somebody or you want to do, take time out of your personal time using this. I can see where this is a fatiguing uh, thing, right? For sure. This is, you know, school for kids work for adults is we're all kind of into this. And probably this is something in some manner of our lives will stay mm-hmm. is is using this sort of technology going forward. So then relying on it even more to build your personal relationships, I could see where that's a negative connotated mm-hmm. um, thing that we maybe shouldn't do. So I liked how he gave some tips of, you know, using the postal service and writing letters or making scavenger hunts or, you know, finding, as he said, other technologies to use mm-hmm. that are maybe more in their terms and less uh, kind of connotated to the things that are maybe more professional or more structured or rigid in their life. So I thought that was a really good takeaway, um, which people can use right now is, you know, don't, don't force it. Is it, I think there's other ways that you can be fun, be light and try to reach uh, that child or grandchild another way. So, yeah. well, thank you all for, for attending uh, our show today. So we are episode 19. Getting up there. 19. <laughs> so our last teenage year here. Uh, so if you want more resources, uh, so Chris gave us a bunch, he's actually going to give us a bunch, uh, uh, he said offline that we can use to share with you as well. In addition to the Acadia cares videos, but you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 19. So go to that website. There'll be this show page. You'll have the transcription. You'll have uh, all those links that Chris shared with us. Anything you need, uh, hopefully you can find to better your relationship with your grandkids. Uh, But thank you for tuning in to the Retirement Success Main Podcast. We really appreciate your listenership. I appreciate uh, you tuning in and we'll see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.